0: You made it. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of this place where the kids aren't asking for the Wi-Fi. Mom, can we go to the pool? And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.
1: In the week that Love Island opened the doors of Casa Amor one more time... Channel 5 brought back All Creatures Great and Small, and Blackadder announced a comeback. This is a very special episode of Series Linked, recorded live at the England Club at Wimbledon. New balls, please. I'm Emma Bullymore from the TV Times, and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hiya, Jeffers.
2: Hey, how's it going?
1: Good, in the sunshine on the roof of Wimbledon. Not too bad.
2: Very exciting.
1: Very exciting, indeed. Right, on this week's episode of the podcast, dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand, We'll speak to Claire Balding about the BBC's coverage of Wimbledon this year. We'll discuss more new telly, including wildlife shows and the new Stranger Things. And Catherine Ryan shares her box set to watch before you die. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. You're right, Jeffers, this is pretty nice, isn't it?
2: We've made Emma, you know, we've cracked it. (laughs) We're at Wimbledon, you know, 20-odd episodes in, we're already here. I feel like, you know, things are going pretty good, aren't they?
1: It's all been worth it. Obviously, you and I are both massive tennis fans. Are you excited to be here?
2: I'm really excited and, and we need to try and sort of paint a picture, I guess, of how it works. We're, we're on sort of a, a grassy sort of roof, um, which is where all the media are and sort of overlooking a lot of the outside courts. And we can sort of see one and Centre Court as well. We've already seen Andrew Castle and a few of the other B people milling around. Um, yeah, it's quite exciting.
1: Novak Djokovic walked past us on our way in, which we thought it'd be surrounded by bodyguards, but just on his own. Our papers are rattling in the wind. There's a slight breeze, which is, must be nice for the players, but it's fantastic to be here. We'll talk more about when we're doing it in a bit because Claire Balding's going to come on. Very, very exciting. But we should do the We should do the normal shtick as well. Let's talk about some new telly. A couple of wildlife shows first. Serengeti on BBC One. Jeff has set this up a bit for us because it's, it's not an usual wildlife show, is it?
2: This is going to spit the audience for sure. It's, yeah, it's very much not... It's not an Attenborough-style show where it's a banker, you know, everyone's going to be loving it. This is sort of a dramatisation of the natural world, I suppose. Uh, and it's narrated by John Biego, who, who does a good job, I think, a Star Wars uh, actor. Uh, but he has to kind of paint a picture of what's happening um, out in the desert with various different animals. But he, he does so in a almost a soap style sort of way. Um, you yeah, your know. words
1: to me were, I didn't watch Planet Earth and think, this needs to be more like EastEnders. And that's basically what it is, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and I, I found out um, this week, actually, that it was um, Simon Fuller's idea, he, the former spy school's manager. He's behind it. He went on Safari. And apparently he's involved. He thought, oh, Safari, World uh, Wildlife TVs there should be more of that shock. You know, he obviously <laughs> hasn't been watching sort of Atom for the last 50 years or whatever. But so he's involved. And, and the idea is to kind of give it a different take, I suppose. So you, you've got... Kali a brave lioness and she's got these cubs but the cubs haven't got a dad and you've got Bakari this uh, passionate baboon that's a story that really it's a love triangle yeah that story really perplexed me Um, it was was trying to sort of I think guess really what was going on and and the footage itself is is fantastic and I think a lot of people will enjoy it purely for the footage alone but um, yeah I, I wasn't sure that anyone was really crying out for this dramatization style um, sort of adaption of it. What, 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 do you, what did you think? Well, I also
1: wasn't really sure that it was accurate, to be honest. I'm not sure that animals think in the same the way that we do about relationships and romance and what it's like to be a single mom. I'm not sure a lion's experience of being a single mom would be similar to the lady on my street who's a single mom. And that's kind of the way they portrayed it. And I also think maybe this would have been a good idea ten years ago when nature shows weren't doing very well, but they're really having a massive moment at the moment. So they don't really need this injection of storyline, I don't think.
2: Yeah, I find myself watching it wondering whether other people are going to think differently to us, maybe, in a, you know, do they want this extra sort of oomph or this extra sort of dimension to, to natural history? But you never really see anyone watching... Blue panel on social media saying, "Oh, this bit's a bit dull." You know, the, the narrative sort of. I think when you get a really good piece of footage, it sort of tells its own story. I don't think you necessarily need this added influence. I wonder in this case whether it's um, a sense of them not having such spectacular footage. You know, is it is it leftover footage, which which is still very good, but but it's just not quite of that you know really top draw quality that we see on the Attenborough shows so perhaps they've tried to sort of spice it up uh, if you excuse the pun in, in terms of doing it this way and i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure it works for me and i'm really going to be interested to see what the reaction is i think it's going to social media is going to be very interested in this and it, it's it's not a small series it's it's thursday nights and it's six parts so you know it's going to sink or swim by the end
1: and this isn't the only nature shows just starting up judy dench is having her wild borneo adventure I mean, I didn't expect this to be a thing. I've got to say, I've loved the work of Dame Judy for quite some time. She is a national treasure. Does she need to go to Borneo? Discuss.
2: Well, she obviously wanted to go to Borneo. I think <laughs> that's probably, you know, do you, do you want to go to Borneo and hang out with all these amazing animals? Well, yeah, we, we'd all love to do that. So I guess if you're Dame Judy, you, you get those sort of invitations. She, she has done a documentary on trees before that was well received, so I can see the sort of thinking behind Uh, sending her away here, and she does say it's the most extraordinary time of her entire life since she's come back. So she obviously really enjoyed it. Again, this isn't perfect for me, it's it's okay, it's a two-parter, but there's not that much depth to it. It's quite nice seeing her sort of innocent reactions to, to meeting some of the animals. But at the same time, obviously she is not an expert, so in that sense the the voiceover and the information you're getting is not there's not a lot of depth there, so it's just watching Judy getting, you know, one of her lifetime ambitions fulfilled, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's nice spending time in her company. Who doesn't love Judy Dench? But also, I mean, not to be ageist, I I wouldn't be fit enough to do some of the things that you really want to see from this kind of documentary. Uh, So I feel like she wasn't necessarily the best guide we could have had. She does go for it. She gets hoisted up into the treetops, which is quite good fun. Um, and like I say, it's, it's fun and it's nice to watch, but it could be so much better. If you really wanted to know more about that part of the world, I feel like, I don't know. But I did enjoy getting to meet her boyfriend. That was fun.
2: Yeah, the dynamic there is quite interesting. He's a conservationist. I think he's very much into this, t- this type of work. So it's a perfect match in that sense as well. Might be another reason why they got the gig. Um, and there are some good moments and, and the second part I think has, has her meeting an orangutan and she talked very um, highly of that in a screening I went to and I think that's going to be one of the moments of the two-parter so I was a bit surprised that that's been pushed back onto the second one uh, like you say the being hoisted up in the tree is also quite interesting it's, yeah it's good and it's, it's quite nice to see her reactions but I guess once you've sort of been watching it for half an hour or so watching her say something's amazing I'd like to, a little bit more than that I wish, wish maybe they'd spent a little bit more time on the voiceover and we just had a bit more information about what was going on really. I
1: agree, but I think I'm still probably more likely to stick with this one than Serengeti. Oh yeah, definitely. Right, should we go have a wander see if we can find Claire Balding? Let's do it. So as you know, we're here at Wimbledon on day one of the tournament and who else would we have as our guest other than the fantastic Claire Balding? I
3: think, let's be honest, if you could have had Roger Federer, you'd have him.
1: (laughs) How is it being here first day? Is it the same every year or does it feel different this year? Um, it I love it because you get some Jamie Murray's
3: just walking past us Kim Kleisters yeah. has just walked by Tracy Austin's sitting over there Boris is up and down the stairs Boris Becker that is I love the familiarity of it and yet every year it's different Pat Cash has had a very short haircut look
0: yeah. he's rocking all going that on look up <laughs> yeah
3: um, so that makes it you know and they every year something's different something's improved you know we've got the roof on number one court now but I remember when I first came here, to work which would have been 1995 I think as a reporter junior reporter for Five Live I was up in a room high up in the in the sort of inner bit of centre court on the side but looking out over courts literally eight and nine (laughs) your job is to keep an eye on those courts that nobody cares about (laughs) and tell us if anything happens Um, so that's what I did for the first couple of years and then you get out and about and then I got a bit of commentary then I got a bit of presenting and then just finally, a few years ago, I transitioned to telly.
1: Well, this is a show that most people rely on because you're out at work and then you need to come home and you're going to tell us what's happened. So you're trying to avoid spoilers all day. Does that feel like a responsibility?
3: Yeah, it does, actually. And particularly, I mean, I guess it's an old-fashioned concept, really, in this age of social media where everyone does know the results. But a little bit like Match of the Day, being the place where most people see their Premier League football, by, by far and away most people, this is probably the place most people will see all of the matches because very few, I think very few, of us have the time, much as I'd love to sit and watch telly for eight hours during the whole day, that's going to be quite a limited bunch that can watch all of it so you want to be able to, you're you're quickly editorialising so you're putting your hopefully your best stories top and bottom of the show with a bit of fun in there as well shot of the day and you know if there's a good tantrum we get that in.
2: (laughs) I was interested to know how your day works because I guess the the best thing could come just before you go on air so how early do you get it, how much do you you have to rewrite, how, how does it kind of work? Yeah
3: and Mark it's interesting because we just had our our program meeting so we've got a plan and jamie who's the editor will will decide i personally think that depending on what happens on the Venus Williams-Corey Goff match, to me, that feels your lead, particularly if Corey Goff wins or it goes to three sets. But either way, that's a really strong story because Corey Goff is the youngest qualifier in Open Era history. And although, you, you know, and I think we are very international in our outlook on the BBC, we don't just lead with Carl Edmund because he's now the British number one. And, and that you, you've got to be flexible because right at the last minute, if the match of the Carl Edmund match goes long, will be knocked back in terms of our on-air time, so then you're shortening up the show and also if he went long and got knocked out that becomes a big story but it's just finished so do you lead with it because you're coming on air straight afterwards and you've got the red button repeat so people might catch it at any time on iplayer or or indeed red button
2: and how might you prepare sort of going into the tournament are you one of those people sort of motty style with lots of books Uh, swatting up or do you do it day by day i would
3: would if, if i was doing the live coverage yes um but actually because the job is is essentially telling the story well of what has already happened it's more to do with keeping alert through the 13 days and watching as many different matches as you can so I'll sit in the office I'll try and go and see some live tennis I mean I'm very interested to go and see Felix or Jayalia see him in the flesh because he's the bright young thing the new the new Boris Becker I did Eastbourne last week so I've at least have done and I've done a lot of women's tennis this year because I've been doing Fed Cup as well And yeah, you keep across Queen's, obviously, um, and the grass court results, keep across the Grand Slams. But essentially, it's more to do with knowing the history of Wimbledon so that when a name comes up, you think, oh, hang on, didn't he have a really good run in 2007? And you're quickly looking it up and and realising, yes, that's right. I haven't falsely remembered that
1: and you're you cover so many different sports and seem really enthusiastic about every single one are you is there one that you think oh i don't really want to do that and where does tennis rank tennis is right up
3: there i really enjoy doing it i like the gladiatorial combat of it i like the fact there are only two players on on the court unless of course it's doubles but you know most for the most part two players on court and you can really see their faces i like that face time i think it makes it a much more intense sporting drama And you can hear them, and therefore, if they're losing it, you hear what they're saying. Beeps, (laughs) obviously, will block out some of it. Um, I I really enjoy it, and I like the fact that you've got players who've been around for a long, long time. You know, your Roger Federer's and Novak Djokovic's and Rafa Nadal's, obviously, but also, you know, Gael Monfils is now quite a familiar figure, and I really enjoy watching him play. And John McEnroe says, oh, you're ridiculous, he'll never win a Grand Slam, but it doesn't stop me enjoying watching him play. Um, so I, I do enjoy tennis and I love watching golf. I don't cover golf anymore and obviously I don't cover racing anymore. So those are two that I watch for enjoyment, pure enjoyment. And others I watch. I love cricket. I mean, I'll I yeah, i mean, I'll watch anything. I'll be interested in anything. But it, to me, it's all a storytelling exercise. You, you make people interested, make them emotionally invested and tell them
1: why they should care. And Wimbledon's a broadcasting challenge because you've got people who never watch tennis otherwise, but also people who are obsessed with tennis. That must be quite tricky for you. It also, in the early stages,
3: it's really difficult because there are so many matches. And unlike football highlights, where you can go to the goals and you've pretty much got the story told, in tennis, you could go for the break of serve, but actually it's not the best tennis in the match. Or you go for the match point, and quite often that's really not the best. It's hardly a rally at all. Um, So showing either blocks of it all the best bits of it and telling that story properly is really hard to do so we we've sort of developed a way in more recent years where either you'd go to a match that's been quite quick cut and have music on it and graphics and do it in a funky way or you might get John McEnroe or Tracy Austin who are my tonight to talk over elements of that match that mattered and that works well because you want to hear from your pundits. I mean, I watch Match of the Day for the pundits and for the interviews, as well as for the goals. I think people watch today at Wimbledon, yes, for the tennis, but also they want to hear what McEnroe's got to say, or what Tracy's got to say, or Tim Hennman, or whoever it is. I just wanted
2: to get a word on Sue Barker as well. Between you, it's almost like the dream scene of broadcasting. What is it about her? She just seems very calm, and she does it for such long periods. She's brilliant, isn't she?
3: Oh, God, yeah. And she's here from really early in the morning. I mean, my day is, is... very easy compared to hers I mean she's phenomenal and you think how you know tennis is her life and there's nothing really that Sue doesn't know and if she doesn't know it then it probably isn't you know it doesn't it's not worth knowing Um, she's phenomenal and her stamina is extraordinary but she just loves it and you know everybody else is very because they know her so well I think it's a really good setup and we get on very well and you know I have huge respect for her I think during my time in the BBC, Sue was the, you know, when I first joined, Sue was really the only female, you know, there was Helen Rollison and Sue were the only female faces on, on the sport. And then Hazel Irvin, obviously brilliant as well. And really, God, she knows her stuff. I mean, you're surrounded by people who set a standard that you know you've got to try and live up to. And it's not always easy to do that.
2: And it feels like women's sport maybe is having a, a moment. Of, you, you know, you've know, you been a really good supporter. We've spoken about this before. Um, we've got, obviously, the tennis, which is, there's parity in tennis. We've got the Women's World Cup at the moment. Mm-hmm. Hazel's going to be doing the netball, coming up on the BBC as well. It, it feels like we're finally making some progress, don't you think? Oh, for sure. And, and I always thought this would be the year, but I'm just so pleased.
3: I can't, I'm so chuffed that not only the viewing figures for England matches, but also for non-England matches are so high. So there's a real interest, and I think, you know I had difficult meetings with broadcasters over the last few years trying to persuade them that women's sport is going to be the thing they should be looking at and investing in and giving more coverage to. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with the women's super League after this, of, of who who can get live football on, because obviously you can't have Premier League matches on live on Saturdays and Sundays. Well, there's nothing to stop you having WSL matches live. BT have got the contract, but they can't show all those matches. Um, So does a terrestrial broadcaster come in? I I think it's a really fascinating rights situation, but more than that, I'm just pleased that those players have had the chance for their personalities to be known, that they're recognised, people know their names, and hopefully for them, they can actually reap some of the benefits, but more than financial reward, for me, it's about respect. And I think seeing someone like david beckham at that game the way he reacted to lucy bronze's goal that matters and the way phil neville talks about that team matters because it says to other men this is worthy of your attention and it is worthy of your respect. And I think that that's a huge step forward.
2: Just to go back a step, you think that would probably work. I mean, I, I do. It's the first time I've sort of heard about it. But the idea of a, a three o'clock women's game on a Saturday on TV.
3: Mm, that now, that that is something that they've been, BT have been trying to push for. Because obviously right. you've got the block out on three o'clock. I wouldn't, per, this is my personal opinion, and, and it would go against, you know, certainly some... People I really respect in broadcasting think differently. My personal opinion is: don't take on the most popular sport in the country at the time when it's happening in the most places, because you're after a live audience as well. You you can't put something on telly if the stadiums aren't full, and that's why the World Cup's working so well. But I did a series for Channel Four called Women's Football World in the build-up to this World Cup, and we were showing highlights from the leagues around Europe and indeed America it's very rare, although records have been set in Italy and Spain and France, it's still very rare that those are played in proper stadiums. You know, there's there's no way, Bristol here, so Bristol women, they don't have a proper stadium, they've got an athletics track round it, it looks worse than most school pitches. You can't show live coverage of a match from there. So they've got to be in the right grounds and those grounds have got to be full or at least three quarters full. And I think that's the challenge for the FA and the WSL. Don't be taking on men's football just for the fact that you've got so many millions of people going to matches. You want to I would go for myself, I'd go for a Sunday mm. and I'd probably go two o'clock or five o'clock on a Sunday or four o'clock. I mean, you know, pick a time, make it yours, keep it consistent. I think in Brazil, or no Mexico, they've had a really good success with Monday evenings for women's football. And they're packing out grounds there and they're having good audiences on telly as well.
1: And you're hosting Sport Release first all female event. Tell us more about that. Well, yeah. I'm really excited about that too. So about,
3: I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, I went to Sport Relief and said, I think I think you need to be doing a, a women's event um, and I think it should be netball. And they said, no, nah, no, netball doesn't really, people don't play netball. I said, no, no, they do. Every girl in every school in the country plays netball and it's an urban and a rural game and you can play it in the Orkney Isles and you can play it in, you know, in Brixton. It doesn't matter where you are, netball will be... In, be being played and I sort of got these blank looks. But you realise that for, for a lot of men netball is a bit of an alien concept because so far I mean some boys do play netball, but for the most part it's not a man's game. And to me that was sort of the point. So I was very keen on this and then when um, I kept saying it and then I got a few people who I know, like Jennifer Saunders was really committed to the idea and said, yeah yeah I'll help you out to make it, to give it that stardust quality and then when England won the gold medal at the Commonwealth Games suddenly you're pushing against an open door. (laughs) So yeah, we've got a really good lineup, and Sally Phillips is playing and Sarah Hadland and Oti Mabusi is one of the captains, Jessica Hines is playing and originally, I mean, you know, I had grand ideas of this power-packed female audience and suddenly you get a shot of Emma Thompson sitting there and Olivia Coleman's there and Phoebe Waller-Bridge who really wants to play but she's not here. Oh, man, but, that would She's literally <laughs> so keen. She's sending me messages saying, is this netball a one-off? Because if it's not a one-off, I could come back and I could play in a different, you know, on a different day or a different week. Or, I'm like, well, who, who knows? If it goes well, and, and the point is to make it a fundraiser as well, an effective fundraiser. So it's got to, m- most of these sporting challenges, you're not pretending that you're going to watch You know with with whether it's soccer aid or whether it's comic relief football match it's not the best football you've ever seen but it's a way of raising attention and raising funds and i think giving people it's the it's the surround noise around women's sport that matters as well so it's not just the top end performance i think it's making it something that has entertainment based around it that humor is based around it that you know the players well enough that they suddenly pop up in, you know, major shows or adverts or whatever. And that's where men's sport's been there for a long time. Um, but I think women's sport is is making its way there as well.
1: It's very inspiring to me that you're going into these dreams and making this change happen. You could easily, you're busy <laughs> enough that you could just sit and do the work and not be campaigning. But it's obviously... It matters. Feel, yeah. It
3: matters to me. Yeah. And I really care. And, and for example, you, you know, England's performance at the World Cup makes me more... I I feel more emotionally invested in it than anything that I've, you know, given I don't present it but I, I know them well and I know what a difference this could make and I've said it for a long time and it's almost like I felt often that I'm shouting into a wind that's blowing so hard into my face nobody can hear me now I'm shouting with the wind and everyone's shouting with me it makes me quite emotional because you think gosh it didn't it's happened it's actually happening there's so many things that we would have campaigned for in our lifetime that, that you kind of think, "Oh god it's two steps forward one step back this suddenly is six steps forward and I want that momentum to continue and I want girls to realize that there are options for them that there aren't just the sports that have been labeled feminine it's not as much as i respect gymnastics and tennis and athletics and swimming which seem not to have had a problem not to have had an issue with resistance to girls doing it it's the other sports you know it's it's rugby it's cricket it's football it's everything and 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 saying you know this is open to you you can do this and and you won't you know, if you say to your careers teacher at school, I want to be a professional footballer, you won't be laughed at anymore. That matters.
1: What TV do you watch if you get a chance to? Do you get a chance to? I
3: watch Killing Eve um, yeah. and Fleabag. And um, I do actually watch Love Island.
1: Do you? I do. So my...
3: <laughs> i tell you why. I was not expecting that. <laughs> i tell you why. Because I think... Well, because it's... okay, I can't really justify it um, on an intellectual level. Apart from to say, I do think it's sort of social history. But also, it's... uh, (laughs) Good save, yeah. Mm, Yeah, good save. (laughs) Well, Callum Moran has persuaded me that this is, you know, we are watching live social history and it's not just a sex zoo. (laughs) But it is a bit of a sex zoo. Um, I find it fascinating the way people behave with each other and the way relationships develop and also watching pack behaviour. And... When people suddenly turn against somebody who sticks up for them, I find that interesting. And how people cope in those situations. When you're called out, what's your reaction? I think it's fascinating from that point of view, but also just the timing of it means I get home at about 10.30, I can watch Love Island on catch up, skip through the adverts in 45 minutes, and that's my perfect brain down time which is probably more realistic an answer than <laughs> it's social history. I'm
2: analysing human behaviour. <laughs> it helps you go to sleep. So it, helps you to sw- it probably helps you to switch off, I think, probably from the day's stress. And
3: on a serious point, it gives me a, a chance to talk to any teenager in this country I can start a conversation. So li- last year, somebody, a friend of mine brought their daughter who was just like lounging against the wall. No interest. I got nowhere with tennis. So I just suddenly chucked in a question about Love Island. Suddenly, We're having a really intense conversation for half an hour about the behaviour of Laura on last year's Love Island. This year, it'll be Maura, for sure. What do you think of Maura? I think Maura's... F- I love her. I think she's great telly. I think she's great telly and a sort of weird modern feminist icon, actually. I like the way she calls out bad behavior
2: just got one more question if that's right on, I just wondered if um, there's anything that you're not doing now that you wish you were doing or there's anything, Women's World Cup. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and anything I would love to do that anything
2: yeah. you miss doing like you also used to do the racing you did a yeah. chat show is there anything that you sort of missed doing or that you'd what? like to do in the future again
3: oh, oh there are loads of things I'd like to do in the future but I'm quite good at not missing things because I always think Alice my partner has a very different attitude me. She always says, when one door closes, it's bloody well shut. (laughs) And I say, no, I think there are other doors. (laughs) Let's have a look. So I am the internal optimist. So I'm always looking at different opportunities. And um, I do a lot of writing, obviously. And and I like talking to kids and I write for kids. um, And I'd like to use sport as a way of maybe transmitting messages that I think are important. Um, But I love, you know, I'm really lucky. I love what I do. And I'm very grateful for the things that do continue and for the things that don't, you never know when they're gonna come back again. So you kind of just keep keep an open mind and you know keep happy about it all.
1: Claire, thank you so much for finding the time to join us. If you guys wanna check out today at Wimbledon, which you do because you'll be busy at work for when all the matches are on, it's on 8.30 every night at BBC Two. Thank you so much, Claire. Emma, Mark, thank you. Thanks very much. You're listening to Series Linked. Make sure you subscribe to the channel to stay up to date with all the latest telling. So it seems only fitting as we're here at Wimbledon. I'm going to keep saying that like a big name drop. We're here at Wimbledon. My big question of the week, Jeffers, has to be tennis related. And it's going to be this. Which tennis player would you like to see with a television vehicle all of their own? And what would it be?
2: So many options, aren't there? But, I mean, we saw Djokovic earlier on. Neither is a huge He's not tele-friendly, I don't think. He'd be a good baddie, though, wouldn't he, in something like Line of Duty or something? i see him being quite good. It
1: was Novak.
2: He's so fit and athletic. He'd be, like, you know, very nimble. Serena Williams can obviously can do anything she wants on TV you as far as I'm her. concerned. Yeah. I she's,
1: thought, she's the new Phoebe waller Bridge as far as you're concerned yeah, for summer.
2: But uh, she be good at she she I could see her doing a chat show. She's quite you know, I could see her personality coming across. I think that would be good an American chat show. Mac and Roe is like a seventies cop, like a Sweeney style yeah, cop. Like
1: that, a Gene Hunt type thing. Yeah,
2: yeah, but my top choice, Fedra, who I love, Roger Fedra, he could be in like a scandy crime sort of drama. I think he's so cool and relaxed, doesn't really sweat, does he? I could just see him solving <laughs> all these crimes. Saying, you know, very few lines, just a few killer lines here and there, just very quietly. I just just think I could see that, totally see it. So like Crime
1: solving in a white cardigan.
2: Yeah, like a Wallander sort of style style thing, yeah, I think he'd be good. What what about you? You must have some ideas for Rafa.
1: Yeah, obviously I just want Nadal to be on twenty four seven. He can do what he likes, he can have a cookery show, he can do whatever he wants. But I was thinking, how about this as an entertainment format? Make Andy laugh. Murray just sits there looking miserable as he usually does that won't be a stretch you get, get paid a million pounds for that and then people have to try and do something to make him crack a smile
2: I was trying to think of something for him because he, he loves Mock the Week doesn't he that's about the only thing well, I think he does laugh at he likes at. comedy he's been in the audience a couple of times at Mock the Week but, so I was trying to think of a comedy vehicle and I couldn't think of one but you've nailed it
1: So we've had a little bit of a wander around. You might be able to hear the swing of rackets behind us. That's Heather Watson. We're up on Henman Hill, or what is it, Murray Mount now? It's
2: Murray Mount, very much so, yeah. back
1: in the day, I'm old school. But let's talk about some more telly. It it will not stop just because the tennis is on. Stranger Things Series 3 is finally out. Fans have been waiting a long time for this because it was only 2017 that the last series was on. You a big fan of this, Jeffers? I do
2: watch it, yeah. I really enjoyed the first series, less the second series, but, you know, in most people's eyes, it's growing and growing, isn't it? Particularly a, a younger fan base. Um, there's eight parts coming up. They're all dropping on Thursday, July 4th. Um, yeah, and, and we're in 1985. It... You haven't seen this before. I just the first of all, what's your reaction to watching it?
1: Well, I've seen bits of it I know everyone's obsessed with it, but it's not really my kind of thing. I thought it was good. I feel quite terrified to say anything because what, what do we have to sign? There's about 18 things we're not allowed to say.
2: Yeah, it's quite incredible, really. There's a list of uh, spoilers and sort of almost like a non-disclosure that we signed and I think I counted 18 or 19 things. Some of them are quite ridiculous. You know, the nationality of certain people we can't say and, you know, there's names and then the word possessed and then... Names and then death. So there's, there's a lot going on. Were you but even allowed
1: to say that? I, I, I'm really I'm, freaking I'm, out now.
2: Yeah, I'm probably dead now. <laughs> Someone's come and, Some monster's going to come and kill me or something. But yes, yeah, it's, it's a little bit ridiculous. But, but that sort of shows you the level of hype there is around this and how big a thing it is for Netflix now. There are going to be millions of people probably around the world who are going to binge the whole series of this, this week. Um, and I think those people, the people who are already converted, uh, they're going to be happy enough. It's, it's very much more of the same. The young characters have all got big storylines. I guess the big new thing is they're all sort of growing up a bit. They're all sort of falling in love a little bit or they're having their first sort of romances. You've got Eleven who's now gone from being this sort of quite sort of freaky, almost alien character to being sort of a normal teenager in some ways. And she's, she's with Mike and they're sort of snogging away and stuff. And they're all sort of coupling up a little bit. So that, that's a little bit of a change in terms of the dynamic of the group. But essentially, they're they're still going to be fighting against sort of evil and, and monsters, and in that, in that sense, it's very much more of the same. I think.
1: Do you think it's worth the wait? Because the problem with any show with kids in it is you don't want them to grow up too fast before you've told your story. So I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't been speedy the way they've got this third series out.
2: No, but I think they're they're also trying to make each one bigger. Although, perhaps to the the naked eye or to my eye, that. It doesn't seem that much difference in in the shows i was reading a lot of uh, american press and they're saying how hey, there's a lot more money being spent there's a lot of cgi goes into this and um yeah they, they want to make them bigger and better it, to me it feels a bit like talking about something like doc 2's i don't really feel perfectly educated to talk about it because if you're a super fan there's lots of small things that you're going to pick up on here and doctor Who, i you know i watch some episodes and it's good some it's okay and it just sort of carries on and I feel that that's probably what's going to happen with Stranger Things. It's, it's such a, a beast of a TV show now. It's probably going to run for, for a number of years. Um, yeah, I, I do think there's some nice dynamic uh, changes with with the kids and uh, Winona Ryder's character, jo- Joyce, she's a little bit less crazy this time and just seems a bit of a doofus and I think that's quite a nice change as well. I think if she would got any sort of more crazy as, as it went on, you know, she was going to explode. So I think they've toned her down which works well and there's a couple of other new characters so it, it works for me but it's not you know, it's not fantastic. I've watched, I think, two or three episodes, and I'm, I'm not going to run home after Wimbledon and watch the rest. You know, I'll probably watch them at some point, but but it's just okay for me.
1: Okay, well, this I know you're going to run home to watch. Kirsty Allsop is doing a new crafting show. I know this is right up your street, Jeffers. Had you actually ever watched anything with Kirsty Allsop in it before?
2: I, I really like Location, Location, Location. Oh right, I'm, sure. I'd yeah. love to. I'd love to have. Um, I'd love to have her to talk about that. But I wouldn't really. to be honest. I don't want to have Ron to talk about uh, this this new show. This what? celebrity craftsmaker's.
1: I mean, let's just take a moment. Celebrity Craft Masters. Already a genius title. I'm in. We're talking crafting, we're talking celebs, and mastery. This is great. First episode is what, Rav Wilding and
2: Angelica Angelica Bell. Bell. A a battle you you never wanted to see, but you're (laughs) going to see it anyway, yeah?
1: And they have to, they they do different challenges, so it's not like for like. So they might have to, Rav has to make, what is it, like a leather strap to keep tools in. She has to make a tie-dye bag that looks awful that no one would ever ever want to be seen dead with but they're having fun and that's important
2: I mean for a tea time show it's, it's on 5 o'clock on Channel 4, 15 parts I imagine it'll get repeated a couple of times so it'll be on for the next couple of months probably um, and you've got literally the smallest ever trophy given to a celebrity, <laughs> it, it, it might have come out of a kinder egg, I mean it's, 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 it's literally, sort of t- maybe the pound shop, it's, it's incredible <laughs> to see these celebrities pick up these trophies at the end just, for, just to start, them. it's maybe worth watching just for that I mean...
1: We're talking a high level of celebrity here. We're talking McGee, Debbie McGee. Talking Cheryl Baker.
2: I looked up some of the other ones. Hold on. Let me let me get my... Uh, we've got a, a soap battle. Ricky Groves against Wendy Peters Ooh. coming up. And Tally Gray Thompson against Sharon Davis. So, yes, it's a...
1: But they're legends. They're people who've done actual sport at an actual world-class level. And yeah. they're bringing it down to Kirsty. I love that. Kirsty has that power.
2: But... The other thing that's also quite weird, and I'm sounding quite critical, I mean, it's fine it's, enough. It's, it's you sound like enough. a snob,
1: Jeffers. It's, it's Telly fine. snob.
2: It's fine enough thing to watch at five o'clock, but I mean, Kirsty, she's, she's in the title. She's not in the first 10 minutes of the show. She does an introduction and then she hands it over to the experts and then they come back for the verdict. And she's in what, like 10 minutes of each show? I mean, it's, she's done well to get her, her name on it because the craft makers are the real stars. They're the ones putting the graft in, aren't they, with the celebrities. They also make completely different things. So it's in no way sort of a fair competition. I don't think they're sort of, you know, you've got rav making a tool belt and then that's up against sort of a handbag and it's like well which is the best well it's like you know which is best you know uh a steak and uh you know uh, a pasta dish or something it's just <laughs> it's just a ridiculous comparison
1: that happens on, on cooking shows all the time
2: it doesn't and what i would say as well is it's obviously lent a lot of um its look and stuff from sewing bee bake off those type yeah, of shows
1: it's, it's homely and lovely and i enjoyed watching it. i like being in that space for a bit I feel it's triggered some kind of existential angst in you. I got a text message from you being like, what am I doing sitting watching grab Wilding make a tool belt? But I think it's, you know, I think it's a perfectly decent thing to do with your time.
2: There's definitely an audience for it. And yeah, like I said, it's worth watching just to see the trophy. If you just fast forward to the trophy, <laughs> bit, it's incredible. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. You know, it's like the like size of my thumb or something. It's ridiculous.
1: Now it's time get your little notebook out, you're making your list, we're adding to our box sets to watch before you die. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us a must-see series. As you know, you know the job by now. Last week, Catherine Parkinson chose Big Little Lies. The Wimbledon crowd is applauding that, they love big little lies. <laughs> and this week it's the turn of Catherine Ryan. This is her box set to watch before you die. Hey there, it's me, your old friend Catherine Ryan. The box set that I would watch
0: before I died, and I think you should see, is Girls on HBO. All I am asking for is $1,100 a month for the next two years. That's That's insane. insane. Written and created by and starring
1: Lena Dunham, it had ups, it had downs, it was a comedy, it was a dramedy, it had sex, it had
0: nudity, it had interpersonal relationships between four amazing young women living in New York. My circumstances have changed and I can no longer afford to work for free. When you get hungry enough, you're gonna figure it out. Do you mean like physically hungry or like hungry for the job? So I calculated and I can last New York for three and a half more days, maybe seven if I don't eat lunch. Keep it up. I'm not flattered by sexual harassment.
1: I'm not. I love that stuff.
0: That's why I'm here. To jam a very specific frequency of feminine stupidity.
1: It was an important series for my generation, and I'm glad to have seen it. It makes me laugh. It makes me cry. It's the most drama that I can handle.
0: Girls. It's like we're all slaves to this place that doesn't even really want us. You could not pay me enough to be 24. And they're not paying me at all.
1: The most drama that Catherine Ryan can handle. What do we make of it? you seen girls?
2: I haven't seen it. I looked it up. Um, six seasons. How have you missed it? It was 22%. massive. I don't know. I don't know. It's HBO again, isn't it? So that's normally a hallmark of, of quality. It's a good sign. And yeah, created and starring Lena Dunham. Yeah, it, it sounded to me a bit like a more female skewed friends. Am I am I doing it disservice or
1: Well I get very defensive when girls is mentioned because people tend to say, oh yeah, this is like an actual realistic version of Sex and the City. Isn't Sex and the City stupid and bubbly and you know too frothy? Sex and the City was amazing, right? That's just the end of. And this is just a different show that happens to also be about women. We can have more than one show about women, it's a great thing. Um, and it is, it's quite I mean it's not glossy at all. Uh it's quite you know, they're quite honest about sex and they're honest about their lives. And it's good. You know, it had a real cult following for a while. It was massive. And now it's just kind of people have forgotten about it, I think. But if you like that kind of show, it's definitely worth looking at.
2: Well, if Catherine Ram thinks it's good, I'm going to give it a go. Yeah, it sounds decent.
1: Brilliant. Good. That's a good recommendation. And if you want to see Catherine's brand new stand-up special on Netflix, that's Glitter Room. Fantastic title. Apparently it's very funny. I can't wait to watch it. So check that out as well. And there'll be another box set to watch before you die next week. right so we're almost out of time for this week's episode at the all england club but just because we're at wimbledon do not fret jeffers fans i haven't missed out your favorite bit it's still to come because we need to have a look at our epgs hazard a little guess at what we're going to be talking about not just next week but also next month and as you know next year jeffers don't let me down here we go what should we be looking at next week
2: next week we've got a night in with bros yes bbc4 i
1: thought they'd never ask
2: it sounds absolutely crazy i think it's you know going to be live Axe, um, their pick of TV, them chatting a bit. I mean, the documentary was so good. I think this, this seems like a, a natural thing to spend your whole night in with a few beers, a bit of pizza going whatever. It's gonna, I imagine it's going to be unintentionally funny. It just sounds great.
1: I've interviewed them for an hour about this show and I still don't really know what it's about. So that's, that's all you need to know about this. What about next month?
2: This is my big pick for this week, I'd say. Uh, it's a series of three films on Channel 4 called I Am. Um, they're all... Uh, individual films featuring really good top actors. We've got Gemma Chan in I Am Hannah, BAFTA winning Vicky McClure in I Am Nicola and Samantha Morton in I Am Kirsty. I've seen two out of the three of these already, the Gemma Chan and the Vicky McClure ones. They're both really strong pieces, dealing with sort of relationships and, and how things go wrong and a lot of it's sort of ad-lib, there's no real script. Uh, I think the, the end result's really fantastic.
1: Amazing cast as well. How about next year?
2: Next year, we've got Breeders, which is a new comedy coming to Sky One. they have just actually finished filming this. Um, It's Martin Freeman and Daisy Haggard. It's a 10 part series. And it's like about the paradox of parenting. So the fact that you can love your kids, but actually hate them at the same time because of things they do. Um, I think it's based on Martin's own experiences. He's involved in the writing of it. And I think it's got potential. I'm looking forward to that one.
1: Fantastic. Loads for us to keep an eye on there. And that's all we've got time for. This has been the series-linked podcast. Thank you for joining us on this very special Wimbledon episode. If you've enjoyed it, and obviously we hope that you have, please go on, do it this week. Make this week that you leave us a five-star rating and a review, if you would. And make sure you've subscribed as well so that the next episode is ready and waiting for you when it drops next Tuesday. For now, though, from Wimbledon, bye-bye.
2: See you later.